join me in a word of prayer. We continue this series uh, called Living Between Two Advents, Living Life Between Two Advents, or we could say Living Between the Already and the Not Yet Coming of Christ. He's come once, but he's coming again. Many of the things foretold in the Old Testament of Christ were not fulfilled in his first coming, uh, but he said, I'm going to come again, and uh, there will be a fulfillment of all those things that have been foretold <clears throat> concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as believers, we're living in that period, and we're called to live in faith, we're called to live in hope and anticipation of what is yet promised to us in Christ. We don't have everything in our hand yet, do we? As we were talking about the already and the not yet of redemption, Christ came in his first coming and he offered a once for all sacrifice for our sins. But as we're between the already and the not yet, we are still struggling against sin, even though our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. We still have remaining corruption in us, but we are looking forward to a day when he will come again, as Hebrews tells us, not with regard to sin, but with regard to salvation, the full consummation of our salvation, and we will sin no longer. We look forward to that day, I trust, especially as we groan in these bodies, not only physically, but spiritually. We groan, and we are awaiting a day when that will be true, where we will love and serve God with a perfect heart. Tonight we want to talk about living um, between the already and the not yet relative to the serpent crusher. And this takes us back to Genesis chapter 3 and uh, verses 14 and 15. And as we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is one who is coming and he is going to be the one, as foretold here, who is going to crush the head of the serpent. He is the servant serpent crusher. And when we think of the first advent of Jesus Christ, um, part of that ministry of Christ is to do that very thing, to overturn the works of the serpent, to crush the head of the serpent. But there are ways in which that also is something that will be finalized at his second coming. So we're living in between those times of the one who is the serpent crusher. And we see here in Genesis that this serpent crusher is promised. It is foretold that he is going to come. In chapter 3, this is immediately after the fall of Adam and Eve when they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, they had listened, Eve had listened to the serpent and it is here that we are given uh, the results of that for Eve and for Adam. Eve, you're going to have la hard labor in giving birth to children, uh, a reminder of the curse. And Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to make a living. And life's going to be difficult in this new world, this new fallen world. And so there are these curses that are pronounced upon both Adam and Eve. But here is also a curse that is pronounced upon the serpent. And we read in verse 14, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you 
are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is the context of this curse that comes upon the serpent about the one who is coming, who will be the serpent crusher. It's in the context of a curse that is given to uh, the serpent. Um, He was the one that tempted Eve, uh, deceived her, and by which she fell, and later then Adam partook of the same. And here it talks about uh, there is going to be this enmity that God is going to put between the woman and the serpent. Um, As we think about serpents, I know a lot of people are fearful of them, especially my wife. Um, But there's something more in mind here than the serpent and the enmity and the fear and so forth. Um, God here is speaking about um, the condemnation that's coming upon uh, the one who inhabited the serpent, and that is Satan himself. And he's going to put enmity between the serpent and the seed or uh, the woman. Uh, the serpent was uh, more than a serpent. Satan had indwelled it in some way. It was a talking and reasoning serpent as he spoke with Eve. She should have been a little suspicious, I think, of that. But this is the vehicle by which Satan himself tempts Eve. Um, And so she succumbed to the temptation and was deceived. And what we have here is often referred to as the proto-evangelium. That is the first gospel. We've been talking about the gospel. The gospel, the word means good news. Here is the first gospel. Good news. And it is God who pronounces this. This is something that God himself is going to do. And here's the first mention of good news after the fall. And it's interesting, it's right after the fall. And kind of in this cryptic language, there's the first mention of a deliverer who's going to come from the woman. Interestingly enough, from the woman and it is a reference to the Messiah, the one who is to come. And we think of Christmas, we think of the first advent, and he is the one that this is pointing to. Justin Martyr, some of the early fathers, Justin Martyr in 160 A.D. and Irenaeus in 180 said they, that this was referring to the first uh, messianic promise of the Messiah. Derek Kidner Uh, of our own day, said this is the first glimmer of the gospel, the first glimmer of the gospel. And I like what uh, Sinclair Ferguson said. He said of this verse, the the rest of the Bible is a footnote to Genesis 3.15. So here is this very significant verse, and the rest of the Bible is just a, a footnote to this one who is going to come, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. 
Um, and uh, so again, we see the grace of God here, and this is the first mention of good news following the fall of our first parents. We see, secondly, the gracious divine inducement of en- enmity. God says that I will put enmity, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. This is something that God is going to do. Now, what's implied there? If, if God is going to work and put enmity there, what does it suggest to us? At this present time, there is not this enmity. And this is something that God is going to do. This is from Ian Murray. He says, Satan's purpose in leading Adam to sin was his knowledge that Adam was the head of the whole human race and for Adam to fall into sin would mean his posterity would die spiritually with him and thereafter to live in alliance with him. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. They were to be image bearers and produce image bearers who would serve God. Satan's purpose is rather than men, uh, is rather that men be servants not of God and oppose him and become his friends and serve him. He would be the God of this world, the God of this age, as Jesus says. And so there was, we might say, this alliance with Satan now that they are fallen, they've been deceived, and uh, there is enmity toward God, as Romans 8, 6 says, the carnal mind is hostile to God, there's enmity towards God. But God's going to do something here that's going to put enmity between the seed of the, the woman, and the seed of the serpent. And uh, he will not succeed. Satan will not succeed in bringing the whole of humanity into an alliance with himself against God. So God's going to foil that plan and that purpose of Satan. Um, so here is this promise that God says that he's going to put enmity between seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Um, As we think about that, why is this the case? As part of the curse that came upon Satan, God will uh, bring about this enmity between Satan and the woman and their seeds. This might seem kind of strange to us, uh, but it's a glorious thing. This is what God is going to do to bring this enmity about. And it's a good thing. And uh, God is the one, again, who initiates this and brings this about. So the outworking of this enmity, there are two seeds that are mentioned here, the seed of the serpent uh, and the seed of the woman. These are two different offsprings, I believe it's referring to, that will come from the woman, uh, from humanity. And one will be aligned with Satan and one with the promised seed of the woman, Um, And there will be those who are the seed of the woman who will have enmity against the seed of the serpent and his kingdom. And so there will be two different allegiances. There will be two different agendas, two different masters, two different loves. We could say two different cities, the city of man and the city of God. 
And uh, this, again, is all due to God intervening, God bringing this about. So there is going to be this cosmic conflict uh, that is going to, to come about with regard to humanities. It really is better than Star Wars. This is quite an amazing story and, and what God is doing in redemptive history. So there's going to be a renewed humanity, a new humanity that God is going to bring about through the seed of the woman, and the image of God will be restored in them by the grace of God. But there will also be from the woman, there's going to be another seed that is going to oppose them, and they will be the seed of the serpent. Um, And so we have these two entrenched seeds. And what do we see down through history but a conflict that takes place between the seed uh, of the serpent, the seed of, of the woman. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. John speaks about this. Uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. Go back to, let's go back to verse 10. 1 John 3, 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. These are two tests that John gives, loving the brethren and practicing righteousness of what it is to be born of God. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So already we see in the first family, don't we, this conflict, this struggle, this opposition. Cain, who was of the wicked one. Hebrews or Genesis 12 talks about the seed that will come from Abraham, who's going to bring blessing to all of the earth. And he says, those who curse you, I will curse. There are those who will oppose the people of God. Those who bless you, I will bless. And so there will be those who will seek to curse you, who will be opposed to the seed of Abraham. And again, we see this, don't we, throughout history. We see it in the book of Exodus with the Pharaoh. We see it with the enemies of God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament. We see it down throughout church history. Um, There is this opposition, there is this conflict that exists. And uh, Satan is seeking to oppose this promised one and those who belong to him. Revelation 12 talks about here as an imagery that is given of the birth and the advent, the first advent of Jesus. And there's this picture of a woman who's in labor. She's like birthing a child. And we read there about the dragon who is Satan. And it says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. And what was he wanting to do? To devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. So right at the outgo, right at the start, Satan is there to destroy this promised seed. The woman, and we see that, don't we, in in Matthew, where the um, we we see King Herod 
hearing about the birth of this Jesus in Bethlehem. He wants to go down and kill this baby because he's threatened. He feels he's threatened, but ultimately, no doubt, Satan is behind this. And uh, these words from John eight forty four, Jesus said to the religious leaders, if you were Abraham's children, you would accept me. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. And the, the desires of your father you want to do, for he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. There is a real sense in which people are like the Pharisees. They are of their father, the devil. And so we see here, we can expect that there is going to be this conflict and this struggle. And uh, we can hear the words of Genesis 3.15 kind of echoed down throughout uh, history. Matthew 10, Jesus says this, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And often Christ brings that kind of division just because men hate the light and they hate those that belong to the light. And often even within a family, there is this enmity, there is this strife, and there is this difficulty. And we well know, 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan is a roaring lion, what? Seeking to devour, seeking to devour us. And so he is opposed He is opposed to the cause of Christ, the preaching of the gospel. Paul speaks about that on on various occasions in his travels and sees that behind this is Satan himself. And there's a whole world that we can't see, isn't there, of demonic powers, principalities and powers that we cannot see. The Bible says they are there, and it is opposed to the gospel and uh, I think as we look at the world around us, we recognize that the enmity that is often in the hearts of men, there's something more that can't be seen behind that strong opposition often uh, to the Gospels. And so ultimately, this is going to reach its climax at the cross. Here, the enemy, the, en- the enmity comes to a head. And when Judas is going to betray Jesus, he says, Satan has filled your heart. And uh, so this enmity of these two seeds brings about two bruisings. That's what he says here in Genesis 3.15. I'm going to put enmity there. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's the bruising of the serpent's head. And the idea of crushing the head is, uh, is a deadly blow. Leupold, in his commentary, says it is the, cru- the crushed head spells utter defeat. There's a real sense in which at the cross, the death blow was struck with regard to Satan. He's still alive and well in this world, we know, but the death blow has been struck through the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has come to break all and defeat all of the schemes of this evil one and to crush 
his empire, to strip him of his authority and especially the power of death and the tyranny that it holds over men. Um, and the last, uh, uh, at last, to bring all of this promised seed uh, or the, his seed to final judgment. But also Satan will do harm to the promised seed. He will, it says, he will crush your heel, which is a lesser wound. He will do harm to the seed of the woman, this promised seed. But ultimately, it is even through this that brings his own ruin with the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And ironically, this again is the means by which this death blow is struck. Um, and so Colossians 2.15 uh, says that by the cross, it says that he has disarmed principalities and powers and he made a public display of them, triumphing over them in it through the cross. Now, again, there's something behind the scenes that we can't see, but is revealed to us in Scripture. That through this cross, through his work, Christ has struck a death blow to Satan and to his kingdom. He's disarmed principalities and powers and made a public display. He has triumphed over them. And uh, so this is something that has happened in the first advent, but we know uh, as he came into this world, he was born of a woman, Galatians 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Um, in 1 John 3, 8, he who sins is of the devil, and the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God has has been manifested, he's come, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then we read from Hebrews 2, he took upon us, upon himself, our likeness, that he might destroy death and the one that had the power of death. And so at the first advent, here came the serpent crusher. But we see that in the second advent, he will come, and this is the not yet, there are things yet he will do with regard to our great foe, the serpent, uh, the devil. And uh, though the death blow has been struck, a mortal wound has been given at the cross, he's still active, as First Peter reminds us. However, when he comes again, there will be an end, and he will be cast forever into hell. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So here is this promise that he's going to come again. He will finish the work that he has begun. And so we're living now in between the already of that first coming, the already of the serpent or the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ in one sense crushing the head of the serpent, but he will come again and that work will be complete. But we're living in between that time. So just in closing this morning or this evening, as we live between these two advents, 
I hope it will help us to see, first of all, this ought to make us to be thankful. When we think about salvation, what God has done for us, he's not only saved us from hell, from judgment, he's also saved us from a great enemy to whom we were enslaved and under the power of, according to Ephesians 2, and I love Colossians 1.13. He has translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear, beloved son. He has done this for us if we are a believer. He has bound the strong man that held us. And he has taken booty. He has taken us and made us to be his own. Turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is a reminder again of what Christ has done for us. He has overcome, and God, in applying salvation to us, he has overcome uh, the work of the evil one. 2 Timothy 2, verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife, The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, to do his will. Brothers and sisters, if we be in Christ, this is what God has done for us. We were enslaved to him as fallen sons of Adam, but God has so worked in our hearts and brought us, as it says, to our senses, granted to us repentance. He's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear beloved son. It's a miracle of grace. Secondly, we need to be reminded as we live between the already and the not yet of the serpent crusher that there is warfare. There is an enemy. He is a roaring lion, as Peter Peter says. And as Tim, while I was on vacation, preached from Ephesians 6, reminded us where Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this age and the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So there is a warfare. There's a battle that is going on for truth in our world. We need to contend for the faith, as we saw last week, and uh, we take encouragement in the words of John. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How do we overcome the evil one? Well, Jesus gives us an example when he was tempted. In each of the temptations, what did Jesus do when he was tempted by Satan? It is written. It is written. That is the means by which we do combat. And then, thankfully, the fear of death has been conquered. Hebrews 2 talks about that. Left to ourselves, 
bondage in Adam, there is this fear that grips people for all their life. For a believer, the sting of death has been removed. We do not fear death. In fact, death has become a servant to us. It is death that will usher us into the presence of our God. It has become our servant. And so the sting of death has been removed because Christ has crushed the head of the serpent. And again, I think this helps us and gives us a hope-filled worldview. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again. He's going to make all things new. And uh, we thank the Lord that all of his enemies he will defeat, all of our enemies he will defeat, and he will accomplish his good purpose. And so Jesus says to his disciples, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In this world you have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world and this great adversary. Let me close with these words from the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer is that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who, with his precious blood, has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of the Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things, all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life. And he makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live for. Well, as we close this morning, this evening, it's been a long day. I don't know why I'm thinking it's still morning, but let's stand together and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, tonight we thank you for the promise of the Messiah who, having come, promised that he would come again. There are many things that we yet anticipate that are not ours. We're looking for a day when you will make all things new, when all of your enemies will be put under your feet and judgment will finally take place and you will bring in a new heavens and a new earth and we will no longer struggle against sin and we will no longer have a great adversary. We thank you for that hope. Help us that we may live in this world, Lord, recognizing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our great Savior and King, in whose name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you all and have a good week.